The numbers are done, and it would tell you this is a bad draft class. So how do the Jazz make it a win? It's all coming up on today's edition of Locked on Jazz. You are Locked on Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Hi, how are you? I'm David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, Jazz NBA insider, and this is Locked on Jazz. For the last four days, we have been breaking down the numbers on the draft prospects without watching them, without knowing anything about them other than their name and numbers, and comparing them to years past. And the end verdict is this does not feel like a very good draft class. In fact, I just did 30 through 50. Did I find a single sleeper? Yes, I found one Single sleeper in the entire draft numerically. Does that mean they... No, this is just numerically. We'll look at that, try to figure out why, figure out how the Jazz can profit off it and what it means for Danny Ainge, plus late game watch, kind of, because of Denver, and lottery. That's all coming up on today's edition of Locked on Jazz. As I mentioned, I'm David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, Jazz NBA insider. This is your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz called Lockdown Jazz, giving you insight, expertise, geeky numbers, and hopefully making it way better to be a jazz fan each and every day. Please subscribe or follow. We are free and available on all platforms, all podcast apps. So you can just do that. If you get a chance to give us a five-star review, we'd greatly appreciate it. And hit the bell button on YouTube. Join the community chat. Have fun. Be involved in all of our various groups. And a special shout-out to our everydayers, who are there for you each and every day being a part of this show. I greatly appreciate you. All right, so if you've been a part of it all week, thank you to those who have and the everydayers. What I've done, and now in our fifth year of doing it, and I my next task tonight will be to go through the years and stretch out our data and see if we can find um, more kind of background. Because this has been a super interesting process this week that this draft class just does not come out particularly well. In fact, of the five years we've done this, this is unquestionably the draft class with the least kind of guys that have peaked out on our numbers. The way I do it is athleticism is transition is determined by transition percentile and isolation percentile. So how do you do in transition and how do you do in isolation? Playmaking is done by pick and roll. Shooting is done by catch and shoot and spot ups and creating is done by your ability to create off the bounce. The numbers are less good this year than they have been in the past. Um, why is anytime you're doing data, the first question you have to ask is why? A lot of people have brought up, well, is it because of the COVID extra year? Is it because the players are older? Might be, like worth figuring out. Is it because the college game has somehow gotten worse? Eh, eyeballs feel that way. I, I, I think that's a fair question. Um, and so guys have a le- harder time trying to, to perform, maybe. Um, the, you know, what, what is, uh, as I said yesterday on the show, I do, the one thing I do like about numbers, and certainly they can change based on teammates, is on some of these, there is just a level that you've come off the bounce and you're pulling up for a jump shot and you either make it or you don't. And yeah, if you got more space, you're better. On the other level, like you just make shots. Um, We have created our threshold of level of concern, 
which is, you know, we have shown over the years that if you're under certain level percentage shooting, that uh, you don't usually turn out to be able to shoot. If you're under certain levels on off-the-bounce shooting, you don't really turn out shooting. If you turn out to be under certain levels of transition, you don't turn out to be a very good athlete. Um, those, those exist. And those, again, I'm not sure, you know, we'll see. This is going to be really interesting to follow. Like, I'm not saying this is the Bible. I'm not saying I would tell Danny Ainge to look at it. So through the week, we've gone through kind of the top 30 players. And so, and yesterday, the whole talk was that this Jet Howard, Julian Strather, Amari Bailey, Kobe Bufkin group was actually really high. That's kind of bundled 20 to 29 on the board are all kind of had high athleticism numbers. A bunch of them had really good pick and roll numbers. Um, and a bunch of them had um, some and some of them had some good shooting numbers over well, um, Julian Strather, namely Jet Howard, namely. Um, number 29, and I can't remember if we got to it yesterday, was Colby Jones out of Xavier, and he does too. He's in the 74th percentile transition. He's bad in isolation, um, but he was really good at the rim. So he would get a plus athleticism. He's 88th percentile in pick and roll ball handling, and he's 64th percentile in spot up shooting, 91st percentile in catch and shoot. And then off the bounce, he wasn't great. He was 19 of 70. So some interesting numbers there for another one who was 29 on the list. I couldn't recall if went to got to him. So then we went, I went and yesterday did 30 through 50. And here were the, the, the guys that actually came out as being okay athletically. Dylan Mitchell out of Texas, who's 6'8", 205, but he hasn't run any isolation. His rim numbers are great at 6'8", 205, and his uh, transition numbers are great. So he came out as a good athlete. Usually when you kind of get to this level, you can get some guys that are pretty good athletes and then they don't do much else. And that's his case. Spot up was in the 17th percentile. He didn't take a single catch and shoot. So you've really got to project him um, somewhere else on this. Trace uh, Jackson Davis, who's a 6'9", 245 power, fo- power forward. He was a pretty good in transition, probably because he's so big he finishes. He was then a pick and roll man. Um, without much shooting and kind of a funky body on how that fits. Um, The only other player that was on the higher end, or only a few players who were on the higher end athletically, from from 30 to 50, Marcus Sasser, who's a senior at 6'2", 195. What, What is also interesting, by the way, is for the second straight year, other than Scoot Henderson... It looks as though we will have no player drafted in the first round of this draft who is under 6-4. Last year, nobody was drafted under 6-4 in the whole draft. This year, Scoot Henderson will be the one. I, I've, there are enough analytical numbers on Scoot Henderson that are worrisome, and the fact that he, it's really hard to play in this league. You better be Donovan Mitchell if you're going to play in this league at 6-2. You better be really, really special because it is just becoming harder and harder. I mean, I had coaches comment on it all throughout the year. So Marcus Sasser is 6'2", 195. He's a senior. His numbers are really good. He's in the 76th percentile in transition, 65th percentile in isolation on 54 attempts, which is good. He's um, He was pretty good as a rim finisher at 76th percentile for a guy who's 6'2". He's great on the pick and roll at 89%. In fact, he's in the 80 of all the guys in the draft. Only Grady Dick is better than Marcus Sasser on pick and rolls. Um. He scored at 41%, which means he's just not creating for other people. He's actually getting himself to the basket. His spot-up shooting is in the 97th percentile, so only Julian Strather 
and Jordan Hawkins are at the same level as he is Marcus Sasser is um, on shooting. Again, he's a senior, and so it gets you can take this the other way. The catch and shooties in the 95th percentile, only Bryce Sensbaugh out of Ohio State is of the same level as him. So really great numbers for Marcus Sasser. Um, and then his off-the-bounce shooting is in, he took 180, which by itself just should be commendable, and he's in the 63rd percentile. So he Marcus Sasser is one who at 6'2", which is your big red flag, comes out pretty well, but otherwise. The other one who kind of came out well is a junior 6'4", 185-pound guard out of Miami, Isaiah Wong. Um He's in the 87th percentile in transition on 106 attempts, which is a lot. He's in the 79th percentile in isolation on 59 attempts, which is a lot. And if we start to run through it, um, the only guys that might be better are uh, Trace Jackson Davis, Kobe Bufkin uh, on 16 attempts, Jalen Hood, Safina, who did not come out well on any other number. And Cam Whitmore in 29 attempts. So pretty interesting numbers on isolation of what he can do with himself. Um, Then uh, at the rim, he's only in the 45th percentile in 129 attempts. But as a pick and roll ball handler, Isaiah Wong's in the 81st percentile in 191 attempts. So almost nobody ran more. He scored at 41%. Spot up shooting, pretty good. 74th percentile. Catch and shoot, 78th percentile unguarded catch and shoot 81st percentile and then you get to his off the bounce jump jumper which he took 184 of which is an incredible number only uh Terquivian Smith out of NC State I think took more at 211 um this year uh Jalen Hood Safino took 196 but not 200 and Scoot took 184 in the G League so 200 um, or 185 was what his number was. Um, and he hit on the 79th percentile. The only guys that were better than that are, are Terrence Shannon Jr., who showed some signs, and I'll get to him in a second. Uh, Jalen Wilson was in the 82nd percentile. Um, and Bryce Sensbaugh was in the 82nd percentile. Grady Dick was in the 96th percentile and jumper off the bounce. And that's it. So Isaiah Wong out of Miami, if I have one guy 20 to 50 who I think is super interesting, that's it. Um, there are a few other guys who like do peak out on numbers in here in single categories. Um, they're going to get drafted in the NBA, so we'll look at those single categories uh, stalwarts as well here. Um, but really, Isaiah Wong and maybe Marcus Sasser are the two sleepers. However, we'll look at the number summation as well coming up here of like just who popped for the whole week. And then what does it mean for Danny Ainge and the Utah Jazz? Um, So we'll look at all those things. Thanks so very much for making Locked on Jazz your first listen of the day. Today's show is brought to you in part by eBay Motors. The right parts, the right fit, the right prices. It's eBay Motors. I love one of the features of eBay Motors. Um... And that is the perfect fit. So this is pretty cool. Um, the next time you're looking for something, you head to eBay Motors, and they have the eBay Guaranteed Fit. You can be sure that every part you need fits right the first time around. Here's why. Because you put your ride into my garage, and then those parts that fit your car get green check marks. Um, and then if it for some reason doesn't fit, you get your money back. So... 
Confidence is the name of the game when you shop at eBay Motors. With over 122 million parts to choose from, you'll be back in the game in no time. After all, it's easy to bring home a win when the right parts are guaranteed. Get the right parts, the right fit, and the right prices on ebaymotors.com. Let's ride. Eligible items only. Exclusions do apply. It's the eBay guaranteed fit at eBay Motors. It's super cool. Sure, every part fits right. You get that green check mark and you alleviate one of the major stress items that's out there. It's ebaymotors.com. Make sure you check it out next time you're shopping for your car needs at ebaymotors.com. I'm a about to sneeze. That's what I was going to say. Uh, tomorrow is Ask LOJ, Friday edition of the program. So um, feel free. I don't think we got to... Did we get to final... Points gained last week. Um, I, I was going to try to maybe do some things with players that had better points gained than we anticipate we'd try to look at. Um, so tomorrow, ask LOJ. So do it on Twitter because then I can bring your um, question up on the show. I uh, hate to make you do that. Uh, or you can email me at dlock09. I'll just bring your question up. Um, but send me a question with hashtag um, ask LOJ every day. I appreciate you. I'll give you priority. All right. So let's do a quick summation of kind of some of the guys who in deserve a mention they won't be household names so we'll fly through this fairly quickly none of these guys are household names so those guys in the from 20 to 50 that athletically kind of had some good numbers Jalen Clark who is a 6'5 205 pound junior out of UCLA um, he was really good at transition and rim and then he actually isn't bad on pick and roll in the 68th percentile but then his shooting is all red zone. His shooting is concerned. 33rd percentile spot up. Um, and his off the bounce is in the 30th percentile. So those are both kind of numbers where you would get a little concerned. His catch and shoot's not terrible. So Jalen Clark, UCLA, his pure athleticism makes him worth a look. Um, Deron Holmes out of Dayton. He's a sophomore. He's 6'10", 231. His finishing rate is great. He's also big and... His pick and roll uh, numbers are good. There's not a lot of shooting there, obviously, but it's not terrible. Um, it's not good. He was 7 of 16 on unguarded, so he's middle of the pinch, hasn't taken anything off the bounce. So you'd have to project a little bit out on him. Um, Arizona's big center had good athletic numbers um, at the center, at the at the rim, but he's also 6'10". Otherwise, uh, Dylan Mitchell, Texas, was the other one I mentioned earlier. Otherwise... Really, nobody in the eight, above the 80th percentile in anything transition. Um, and isolation numbers, the only one that's kind of interesting, I mentioned Isaiah Wong. The other one that's interesting is uh, Jaime Hat. Uh, I don't know how to pronounce his name. Uh, was it? Anyway, out of UCLA, senior, 6'7, 225. His isolation numbers are really good, 79th percentile. And his pick and roll numbers are pretty good at 78th percentile, so it starts to get exciting. But then his shooting numbers are all in the red. Um, 33rd percentile on spot up, 56 on catch and shoot. And then off the bounce, he's in the 45th percentile. He, he's a little interesting, but he's also a senior. Um, so you just wonder how much old, you know, this is just he's three years older than everyone. You have to go back on those guys and really look at their freshman, sophomore numbers. Um, good shooters. 30 through 50 guys that who's uh, pick uh, or good pick and roll players. I mentioned Marcus Sasser um, was pretty good. And Terrence Shannon Jr., the senior at Illinois, was okay. So you do see like to this discussion of like, is this largely because guys are younger and there's older players? The older players' numbers are always a little better. That's why they're still college and still playing. Um, spot up shooting. 
Um, uh, Tyrese Hunter was okay, but not exceptional. And that's it. Um, other than Marcus Sasser in 30 through 50, there was nobody above the 80th percentile. Um, on catch and shoot, um, again, Marcus Sasser and Maxwell Lewis were over the 80th percentile. Lewis is the pepper is out of Pepperdine, and then there were a bunch of guys that were in the red zone, well below the number um, that all numbers that would be scary. And then off the bounce dribble, which is you know a unique skill. Um, no, Marcus Sasser was 63rd percent, and Maxwell Lewis is 61st percent, which is pretty good. The one guy that was really good is Terrence Shannon Jr. He took 84 of them, was in the 88th percentile, and then Isaiah Wong was pretty good. So that's it on the sleeper end. Not a lot there. Here's the quick summation. Guys that really came out well on the numbers. Brandon Miller out of Alabama. He was elite in transition, 82nd percentile. He went to the rim 164 times, but he only was in the 39th percentile in rim finishing. So that's not a great sign. His pick and roll game is only in the 26th percentile on 134 attempts. He's actually basically one of the worst pick and roll players in the whole draft. But his spot-up shooting's in the 89th percentile. His catch-and-shoot's in the 82nd percentile. And his off-the-bounce is in the 68th. But there's still... That's for the number two or three pick of the draft. There's um, a little question there. Um, Amon Thompson's athletic numbers are great. Cam Whitmore is close to a plus. Cam Whitmore is in the 90th percentile in isolation, 65th in transition. Pretty good at the rim, so that's good. But his pick-and-roll ball handling, he's in the 30th percentile on 102 temps, so both really poor. His shooting's great, 86% on spot up, 84th on catch and shoot, 85th on unguarded, but then not great on off the bounce. So he's close um, on some stuff, but missing on some. Then Keontae George has a big red flag that he's in the 18th percentile on transition. Uh, Nick Smith Jr. has a big red flag that he's in the 19th percentile on transition. Uh, Asura and Amin Thompson both peak out on their athleticism numbers as kind of we would anticipate. Um uh, Jerice Walker is peaks out on his athleticism numbers. He's the 6'8", 240-pound big man out of Houston um, with some decent shooting numbers until he has to do it off the bounce, which at 6'8", makes sense. Grady Dick is a big, huge green. He's absolutely fabulous. 86th percentile in transition, 96th percentile in pick and roll, 74th percentile in shooting, 55th percent in unguarded, and 96th off the bounce. Grady Dick is the best across the board there. Um and then Bryce Sensbaugh out of Ohio State, not elite athleticism, but not terrible, 63% and 70%. Um, 38% pick and roll is not great. Same kind of concept. Then his 74th percentile in spot up shooting, 95th percentile in catch and shoot, 87th percentile unguarded, 82nd percentile on off the bounce shooting um, for the freshman, 6'6", 235. So athleticism is only okay and pick and roll is only okay. Um, actually, pick and roll is less than okay. Athleticism is a little better than okay. But he gets a green. Some of the reds... Concerned on Nick Smith Jr., Jalen Hood-Safina, Julian Phillips, and light green positives on Jordan Hawkins and Taylor Hendricks. And then we got that whole group that was kind of yesterday we talked about of the Jet Howard, Julian Strather, Kobe Bufkin, Amari Bailey group that all kind of have some various numbers that are pretty good. Julian Strather's numbers are incredible. Um, so he would, be a, he would be a green. He would be the Peyton Pritchard um, kind of of this draft, frankly. The guy who lower down 27-28 really peaks out. Um, on that. So what does this mean though for the Jazz? So my take on this draft is it's numerically it's not very strong. It may mean that the difference between if we take Brandon Miller at three, four to 28, and I I do think it falls off pretty fast, that four through 28 or 29 
is the margin, I think, is much slimmer. Like, there's probably a chance that Grady Dick's NBA career is as good as Cam Whitmore's. Or that, frankly, and I've never watched these guys, that Bryce Sensbaugh's career is as good as Keeson Wallace's. Um, these are just names to me with numbers now, so I haven't watched yet. Maybe I'll think that's the silliest comment I've ever said. Or that Amari Bailey, who's projected around 26, is going to have just as good a career as Chris Murray at 14. And to me, that then gets into the art of scouting and the art of being able to evaluate who you, who's going to be able to make it and who doesn't. Who has the skill set that can be that player and who doesn't. Uh, I got a great question from someone to look at Danny Ainge's past draft picks and what their numbers were, and I'll have that for you on tomorrow's show. It's a great question. It's interesting. I did it last late last night. I haven't finished it, so that's why you don't have it today. It's really interesting, though. Um, so when you when you start to look at this draft, to me, there's a chance that Taylor Hendricks is every bit as good as Keontae George. Taylor Hendricks is projected at 17, and Keontae George is projected at 6. And what that means is that, you know, obviously if you're picking 9, you don't get your choice of the top 8. But I think we're going to see some fluctuation. Um, if the numbers are right, we're going to see some fluctuation in where guys are, like right now on Rafael Barlow's NBA big board, compared to where they get drafted. Or where they are today compared to where they finish. I think that'll happen. And then the second thing is I think it'll be in the eye of the beholder and it will really put an emphasis on whose scouting is good and who's done it. The last one is I do think draft workouts will be more important than ever before because of where the college game is. And this is to the Jazz advantage because with the 19th, with the 9th, the 16th, and the 27th pick, there's really nobody the Jazz can't get into into a draft workout between 7 and 40. Like the Thompson twins might quibble about coming in, but maybe you can get them saying, hey, we, we could probably trade up. Um, but you should be able to get just about everybody from seven to 40 in for a draft workout. And that gives you hands-on interaction, time, fatigue. I mean, one of the most interesting things you see in a draft workout is when it gets to altitude and it gets tiring, who fights through it? Now, you have to be really careful. The guy who's out of shape, that's probably on whoever he hired as a trainer. It tells you more about his ability to hire than it does his in his agent's ability to hire than it does to tell you about whether the guy's a fight or not. But you can see, like, who wants to tap out when that happens. So it's pretty interesting. All right, uh, we'll talk a little bit about the games last night as well as our do our lottery. We haven't had any luck this week. But in theory, we should only have luck one day a week and maybe this tells us because we have a 20% chance and we do five shows so one day a week we should end up in the top four um, and so we can always find out which day is our lucky day thanks so much for making Locked on Jazz your first listen of the day and huge thanks to all the everydayers if you're looking for a second show today Locked on NBA Big Board with Rafael Barlow the crew will all be there Leaf Tuline will join us next week to talk about these numbers and he's taking a look at me listened to the show yesterday so he's prepping up for that interview. Um, And then he will, as I mentioned, be filling in for me in late March, early June, and mid-July, I think, is the three times in which Leaf will be filling in for me uh, coming up here on Locked on Jazz. All right. uh, 
That was pretty impressive by Milwaukee. They're better than Miami, and it showed. And Miami, you know, this is a make-or-miss league, and Miami had an out-of-body experience in Game 1, and then Milwaukee had an out-of-body experience in Game 2, making 25 of 49 threes. So we can just chalk that series right now up to make-or-miss. The only thing that's interesting is that Miami had a really good shooting night for the second straight game, which would be a little worrisome. Um, I have a question. Do you think there's a direct correlation between someone's how inefficient someone is offensively and how large they trash talk after the game? Because I've decided there is. That when you go 5 of 14 in 22 minutes and you're so bombastic that you take 14 shots in 22 minutes of action that then you trash talk LeBron James after the game so no one notices that you were a gunner who went 5 of 14, who had the worst points gained of any, I think, offensive player in all the NBA. Um, in regards to the Lakers, and I've said this a lot, and you will probably feel like this is a broken record. I'm not quite sure I understand why no one is talking about the fact that they're a bad offensive team. They were not a good offensive team after the trade deadline this year. They were not good in the half court. We can all say it's not because Anthony Davis wasn't around. This and that. They, they just, they, I think they were 17th in the league in half court offense. And you saw it last night. I mean, they had a terrible offensive game last night. Their half court offense last night was a 76 points per 100 possessions. They are, they are not a good half court offensive team. And it's why I'm just, I mean, a lot. it probably is that I, you know, honestly, I said this about them, frankly, the year they won the title too. So I should probably be careful about this. But if you also go back and look at the year they won the title in the bubble, they snuck through without playing any really good defensive teams until they got Miami in the finals and Miami was hurt at that point. But they were 22nd in the league in half court offense after the trade deadline. The teams that were worse than them were us. Denver, interesting, Toronto, Orlando, Charlotte, San Antonio, Houston, and Detroit. So Denver was sleepwalking. Toronto was trying. Utah, I'm not sure entirely. We were certainly injured and shorthanded. Um, Orlando, Charlotte, San Antonio, Houston, and Detroit. Like, those are the only teams that were worse in the half court offensively than the Lakers in this, after the trade deadline. This, this is not a good half court team. Um... And so it's not surprising to me that in the second game of the series, as Memphis gets used to playing them, that their offense really struggled. Um, Minnesota-Denver last night might have been the ultimate example of all the reasons why people, some people believe in Denver and some people don't believe in Denver. Going up 21 was wildly impressive. Um, falling, Losing the lead was wildly unimpressive. The fact that they only are able to play seven players is a little disconcerting, but we're at that stage of the playoffs. Frankly, I'm not sure Minnesota played much more than eight. Um, and then Jalen Noel, who I love, was not particularly good. And Nikhil, as your backup point guard, is not a great answer in the playoffs. They have And Mike Conley playing 38 minutes is a lot. Um, and they wore down as late in the game, you know, Jamal Murray did his thing with 40. Pretty cool to see, actually. Um, see Jamal Murray kind of click in on that one's pretty great. That was, you know, six minutes left in that game. It's 101-99. It's actually Anthony Edwards was seven minutes left, makes it 99-98. And then it was kind of, you know, then there was a pretty awesome little run 
uh, <clears throat> by Denver. Porter hits the three. Jokic gets the two free throws. Jamal Murray splits. Jokic hits Gordon on the dunk. They, I mean, this is them really using all their guys. Porter puts them up by seven, and then and then Jamal Murray cooks for back-to-back possessions and kind of ends it. Um, that's where you believe Denver's great. Like, that offense is really good, and they, late in the game, made the plays. I think Minnesota might have been out of gas, having had to work their way back from 20. It's never a good script um, on that one. Uh, so, I, you know, to me, Denver... In where everyone else is suddenly in a bloodbath, Denver goes to Minnesota, which is not the fiercest place to play in the world, needing a single win to really kind of take control on their way onto a gentleman's sweep and maybe suddenly from a rest standpoint takes a massive advantage of where things stand um, in the Eastern in the Western Conference playoffs. Like everyone else is at 1-1 on the verge of what feels like six or seven game series. And if Denver walks out of this with the rest, while well, the Clippers and the Phoenix are beating each other up, and then suddenly has Sacramento in the East West in the East Western Conference Finals, the number one seed Denver Nuggets to me suddenly seem like a really really likely um, team. Uh, we talked to QSQ yesterday, by the way. Memphis is getting much better shots than the Lakers. Neither team shot well in that one. Um, I do believe in QSQ, particularly just kind of in estimating where playoff series are going to go um, and what's taking place. I think it gives you a little bit of an idea of just if make or miss really dictated everything or, or what um, in a series. Uh, we frankly, in the Denver-Utah series a few years back, I think Denver had a better QSQ in some of those games, and then we wondered whether it was going to eventually come back to get us, and it did um, on that. So um, the Lakers are not even getting good shots was my point on that one. Back to that game, I didn't mean to just, just jump back over there. All right, um, let us do the ten- the lottery to wrap up the show. All right, here we are. chance, a 4.5% chance of the number one pick, um, and a 20% chance of top four. We should get it this week at one point. Ready, set, go. The number one pick of the NBA draft goes to the Washington Wizards. They jump seven spots to the number one pick. The number two pick of the NBA draft goes to the Utah Jazz. There it is. One out of five. There's our day. We get the number two pick of the NBA draft. Are you going Brandon Miller? Are you going six foot two Scoot Henderson? Are you offering Washington the whole kit and caboodle to see if they'll let you jump to number one? They don't have a GM. They just fired Tommy Shepard. Detroit gets three. Portland jumps to four. Houston wins 22 games so they can have the fifth pick. San Antonio wins 22 games so they can have the sixth pick. Charlotte, seven. Orlando, eight. Indiana, nine. Dallas holds on to 10. Chicago goes to Orlando in 11. Oklahoma City, Toronto, and New Orleans. And the Utah Jazz get the second pick of the NBA draft in our Tankathon lottery today. Woo! Scooter Brandon, give me a comment in the... um, in the comment zone of YouTube or hit me on Twitter and let me know what you do with the number two pick of the NBA draft. Have a great one. Thanks very much for tuning in. Thank you to the everydayers who are here for us each and every day and make the show click. This is Locked On Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.